Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Uh, we welcome you to session one of our course entitled uh, The Muslim Home, uh, the attainment of uh, Sakina, uh, peace and tranquility via the teachings of Islam. As a bit of a preamble, let us consider some ahadith and some verses of the Quran and what that indicates to. Number one is a hadith that comes in Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had said, whoever wakes up to a peaceful mindset, so you've got nothing to fear, you're at ease, and you are tranquil, and you possess good health, and you have enough food to survive the day. It is as if all the treasures of the dunya have been collected for him. So it's a peaceful mind, nothing to fear, you possess good health, and you have enough food to survive the day. According to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, it is as if all the treasures of the dunya have been collected for you. So what we can understand from this is that one of the basic needs of a human is a house in which to reside. And this becomes most apparent when we engage the homeless. Those who live on the streets or refugees who stay in temporary shelters. If you speak to them about their condition, they almost always respond in the following way. I have no way to settle, no place to call home, no fixed place where I can stay. Sometimes I sleep by a friend, sometimes a 24-7 cafe, I spend the night there. Sometimes I'm sleeping in a park on a bench, Maybe I'm sleeping on the beach. As for my clothes and my valuables, I keep it in a car. And if the person doesn't own a car, maybe they're keeping it in a shopping trolley uh, and the like. They don't sleep well at night. There's a possibility of being hurt at night. Uh, they're worried about the possessions, though, they, though it is few. Uh, somebody can just come along and steal it, such as when they are sleeping. And they elf. Being out in the rain and being out in the sun, their health uh, is problematic. So the disruption in their lives, is the, it's uh, debilitating negative effects on their physical and mental health. It is obvious for all to see. You just have to look at somebody to know that this person is sleeping on the street. You can see the suffering on their faces. You can see their faces are, have been beaten by the weather. It has been hardened, uh, etc. And so it is no wonder that Allah calls a house a piece of tranquility, a place of tranquility. Like, for example, Allah says in Surah Nahal, verse 80, A'udhu billahi minash shaitan rajim, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Wallahu ja'ala lakum min buyutikum sakana. And it is Allah that has made of your homes for you a place of tranquility, a place of rest, a place where it is calm, a place where you can, where you can lay your head down, and you don't need to worry. Nobody's going to be murdering you in your sleep. Nobody's going to be stealing your property. So there's many reasons for a house being an abode of tranquility. Chief of which is that it is a place where you will find your life partner. And Allah has referred to the life partner also as a means of sakina, tranquility. So Allah tells us, for example, in Surah Rum, verse 21, and before I give a small bit of a tafsir on this verse, I just want to say that I teach many uh, marriage courses here in Cape Town. 
And of all the verses in the Quran, the verse that applies most to marriage, in my mind, in my limited understanding, is this particular verse. Where Allah has said, and all of his many signs is that he has created for you, of you, spouses, that you might find repose or tranquility in them. And he has placed between you love and compassion. Verily, in that are signs for a people that ponder. So to give a bit of an explanation, what Allah means by the statement, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ Of his many signs, is those signs that indicate that he exists, that he is wise, that he is kind, that he is considerate, and that he is generous. Is the fact that Allah didn't leave us out in the rain alone. No, Allah has created for us life partners. And you will notice that Allah is saying, I created for you, of you. Had it been me, I would have just said, I created for you spouses. But Allah goes out of his way to say, for you, of you, the one from the other. So every man that walks the earth, he knows that he was preceded by a woman, his mother. He could not have entered in, into existence without the prior existence of his mother. Every woman that walks the earth, she knows that she's preceded by a male, her father. So we, whatever gender we might be, we are dependent in our, in our existence upon the other. And then we've come to learn also that our best experience of life, our fullest enjoyment of the good things of life, and our best responses, our best way to carry and work through the difficulties of life is if we have a suitable partner, a spouse. If you have a spouse, everything is just better. The good days are better, the bad days are better. Maybe if you're somebody that likes to go to the beach, maybe as the sun sets, and watch the sunset. So maybe you like to eat an ice cream as you do that. You're going to be performing a maghrib just now, but you're just observing the sun as it sets, and you're eating your ice cream. That's nice. It's liquor. But something is missing. Had your wife been next to you, had your husband been next to you, it would have been better. You eating your ice cream, looking at the heavens as the sun sets, and then looking into your husband's eyes or your wife's eyes, them enjoying perhaps the ice cream that you bought them as well, and enjoying the entire experience alongside you. If you were to add children, Allahu Akbar, even better. Now you're enjoying your ice cream. Your spouse is enjoying the ice cream you bought for them. Your children are enjoying the ice creams that you bought for them. Everybody's happy. Everybody is enjoying the scenery. Allahu Akbar. In a like manner, when difficulty comes, such as death, it's a very difficult thing to die alone. But to die in the arms of your beloved, and as you raise your head and you look around in the room, and you see your children, for example, and others that love you, that is a much easier death. Knowing that there's people out there that love you, that respect you, that want to be there with you, it just makes life all that much better. Either way, Allah in His infinite wisdom, He created Hawa alayhi salam from the rib of Nabi Adam. Some people say this is unauthentic. It isn't. It is coming in very authentic ahadith. The ulama have affirmed the authenticity. Also, Allah is clearly stating in the Quran that the one is created from the other. Such as, for example, this verse. There's no reason to disbelieve. 
And if we enter into the story, there's many things that we can benefit from it. Why did Allah create Hawa from the rib of Nabi Adam? Why not from his head? A piece of his skull, maybe to be superior. Why did Allah not create Hawa perhaps from a toe of Nabi Adam? Maybe to be his inferior. But rather Allah created her from roughly the middle of his body to indicate a certain degree of equality between the two of them. On top of that, Allah created her from a rib. What is the way of a rib? A rib is something, a part of the body, that is designed to protect delicate internal organs. The heart, the liver, the kidneys, the lungs from injury. You understand? That is the aim. So it is an indication that the relationship between a man and a woman is a relationship of protection. And Allah indicates that the primary aim is repose or tranquility. Allah says, لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا the word taskunu, it comes from the word sakina. And sakina means tranquility. It means repose. So prior to marriage, there's a certain agitation. There's a certain unrest. Uh, certain feelings of instability. Life just isn't the way it can be. And instinctively, I know. If I get married, inshallah, life can be better. Then Allah gives the secret also how to make marriage work. Allah says that there's place between us love and compassion. So these are things we'll be explaining in future again, inshallah. But just to give you a bit of an insight, life has two seasons. There's the season when things go your way, and when things go your way, let's call it summer. And then there's a season when things don't go your way, let's call it winter. So that's what life is all about. And marriage is like that as well. So during the summer season of your marriage, you need to ensure that there's an abundance of love. There's an abundance of interaction where both are happy and we are creating win-win scenarios. Not win-lose where I win and you lose. Not lose-win where I lose and you win. But rather win-win scenarios where the love flows and the love is abundant. And then there's the winter season where for some reason or the other, I don't understand you properly and you don't understand me properly. And I'm trying to explain myself and you're trying to explain yourself, but somehow it's not working. And so there's frustration. And during the times of frustration and misunderstanding, the times where you feel emotionally distant and frequently you will be physically distant as, as well, a good quality to, be, to possess, the best quality in that context is compassion. To think back to the good days. To think back to what you have done for me and for you to think of what I have done for you and what I've said in the past. And to allow that to somehow eat into the bitterness of what we are now experiencing. And to allow us now to survive this difficult period. This period known as the winter of marriage or the winter of our relationship. Either way, there's many things we can learn from this verse. And as Allah indicates to you when Allah says, verily in that are signs, there's numerous signs for a people that ponder. So you need to reflect. You need to engage in tafakkur in this particular verse. And more and more of the meanings of Allah will become a way to you. You will become aware of it. Because there are many meanings that are packed into these few words. The more you ponder in it, the more you experience life, the more of his wisdoms will be exposed to you. The main point here for tonight's discussion is that your spouse is a means of tranquility. The home is a means of tranquility. And one of the reasons the home is a means of tranquility is because your spouse 
is there and Allah knows best. So this is the verse in Arabic now. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمًا إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمِ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ And the translation with that. So house therefore represents a place in which all the good things in one's life is gathered. And it waits for you to return to it. You go out into the dunya, maybe for work, maybe for da'wah, whatever the reason might be, but you always return to that one place. You always return to that one place. And your spouse is there. And your children are there. And your valuables are stored there. Etc. Etc. And all of this is in the language. Eh? The Arabic language indicates all of these things. Like the three most common terms that is used for a house in the Arabic language is darun, baytun, and maskanun. And each one of these words somehow indicate to something that I've already spoken of. Like, for example, when we look up the word darun, we notice it comes from the verb darayaduru. And the answer dictionary tells me that darayaduru means to revolve, to move in a circle, to circulate. So I go out into the dunya, I do whatever I need to do, I take a circle back, I come home. Right? Then I rest, I eat, etc. Tomorrow morning I sit out again, I go out to the dunya, I come back. Like for example, the Prophet has taught us in a hadith that you will go to Jannah if you got the heart of a bird. And then in a different hadith, the Prophet tells us what is the heart of a bird? The heart of a, of a bird is the heart of tawakkul, reliance and trust in Allah. So the Prophet Allah tells us in that hadith that the birds, what do they do? يَغْدُوا تَغْدُوا بِطَانًا Birds, they leave their nest in the morning with empty stomachs and they return home at night with their stomachs filled. So they do what they need to do to earn a rizik, but they don't overly worry about it. You understand? They give it the worry and concern that is required in order to make it work but they understand that everything is in the hands of Allah. However, the birds also, they revolve out into dunya, back to the nest. They leave their homes empty stomachs. They return to their homes with their stomachs filled. Daria duru darun. The second term for house is baitun. That comes from the word baatayabitu. And baatayabitu means to spend the night or to overnight. And that's one of the things that we do in our house. You can't sleep on the street. You can't sleep in your car. That is dangerous. You might be attacked. And thus in the end might be done. But to sleep in your house, this is where you are safe. And then finally, in relation to the ayah, Allah said that Allah had made your home sakanan, a place of tranquility. So that one of the terms for house is masken, the plural masakin. And it comes from the verb sakana yaskunu, which the Anjur dictionary tells us to become still, to, to become tranquil, to rest, and to achieve repose. So all of these meanings, it is in a house, and it indicates to what I have said. Some other languages, like we are speaking the English language, and we speak of a husband. When you look up the word husband, you will see it comes from Norse, and it, 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 it comes from the word for house in, in, in the Norse language, hus. And the term band, husband, band at the end, it comes from the word bundi, right? And that means occupier or teller. So a husband is a house occupier or a husband is a, is a, is a, is a, is a house teller. He's the one that is farming near the house or he's the one that is tending 
uh, to the house. All indicating that the house is a place that you that you stay in. The house is, is a place where you keep your rizik, you understand, you keep your valuables, etc., etc. So house is a place where we eat, where we drink, where we engage in physical and emotional intimacy with our spouses. The latter two, because it requires a certain degree of privacy, which the public does not allow us. We sleep in the house and we rest from activities of the outside world. We go out into the world to work, we return home uh, to rest. It is also a place where all our valuables are safely stored for easy retrieval when needed. And inshallah, it will not be stolen. It is the place where we keep our loved ones safe from the cruel outer world and where they can be themselves without fear of harm and ridicule. So if you're outside, frequently you are an actor. Shakespeare mentioned this also. He said, all the world's a stage and we all are actors. We all have our entrances and we all have our exits. There is a moment in the play where I, I enter onto the scene and I say what needs to be said, I do what needs to be done, and then I exit the scene and I leave it for the other actors uh, to take it further. But in the privacy of my home, I am who I really am. And this is one of the reasons why the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had said, خيركم 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 The best of you men are those that are best to their wives, and I am best uh, to my wives. So meaning thereby that in your home, you expose your true self to your wife. And if your treatment of your wife is superior and our opinion of you is high, then that probably is who you are. That probably is who you are. Because outside in the world, you make as if you're one person, but in your home, you relax and in the true you comes out. And so your spouse gets to see who you really are and your children, they get to see who you really are. There's a good in that, and there's a bad in that, and uh, Allah knows best. So automatically, we have to give attention to ensure that the matters of our house are put into order for the following reasons, right? Some of which are already mentioned, and now we want to point form, add some extra. Number one, we are commanded by Allah in the Quran that we must protect ourselves and our families from yal fire. The verse in the Quran is the following. Allah says, Ya amanu, O those who have Iman, who anfusakum, protect yourselves. Who is to protect? Who anfusakum ahlikum nara? Protect yourself and your family from yal fire. What type of a fire? Such a fire wa kuduhan nas wal hijara. Its fuel is humans and, 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 and stones. Meaning, idol worshippers and though and the idols that they worshipped. So humans that were idol worshippers, they will burn in the al fire alongside the idols. So here you might be asking, what's the use of, of putting Buddha in Jahannam? What's the use of putting Lat, Uzza and Manat in Jahannam? They are stones. They don't feel anything. So why are they part and parcel of the fuel of Yal? So this is for the humans that worship them. You see, unfortunately, even after Qiyamah, there will be some that will persist in disbelief. There will be some that will persist in the shirk, in the polytheism. So while they're burning in the air, they're thinking to themselves, let me call unto Lat. Let me call unto Uzza and Manat. Let me call unto Buddha. Let me call unto Zeus, unto Mars, unto Venus. Let me call them. They will protect me. But then when the, when the idea comes to his mind, he notices over there, wow, 
Isn't that the, the Buddha burning over there? Isn't that Buddha burning along with me? So if Buddha can't protect himself from hell, how can he protect me? Right? Either way, these, the, this fire, alayha, uh, it has guardians. And these guardians are malaika, angels. Ghilabun, that are severe and shidadun, powerful and menacing. لا يعصون الله ما أمرهم. They do not disobey Allah in whatever they are commanded. ويفعلون ما يؤمرون. And they do as they are commanded. So they were told by Allah, you need to punish these people. These people are the people that were disobedient. These people are the people uh, that have disbelieved. And uh, so this is why they land up in hellfire. And Allah knows best. So we must protect ourselves and our family from hellfire. It's all connected to the house. Your responsibility is first and foremost to the people of your household. It's just like sadaqah. The Prophet Allah tells us, if you give sadaqah, charity, to a stranger, alhamdulillah, it is, it, is, it is charity. But if you give charity to a relative, it is both charity and the joining of family ties. Meaning you get double reward. You kill two birds with one stone. If you, if you are charitable, well, with family members. And this is where you have the, 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 how the saying entered into the English language. The Prophet said, Start your charity with the people that are related to you. Right? And so somebody took it into the English language. Charity begins at home. Charity begins at home. So the same way, if you have the intention that you want to yah people to go to Jannah and you want to assist them to avoid yah, then you, you should first do that for yourself. And you should first do that for the members of your family. We are not telling that work must not be done on people that are outside of your household. But the people of your household and you yourself, those are the first people that you need to focus on and Allah knows best. Also, we are responsible for those under our care. If I'm a father, I'm responsible for the people of my household. If I'm a mother, I'm responsible for my children, for example. Whoever is under our care, we are responsible uh, for them. And on Dev Qiyama, we will be asked regarding them. What did you do? Did you neglect them or did you fulfill your duty? Like, for example, we have this famous hadith. It comes in the Sunan of Nasa'i, where the Prophet of Allah had said that Allah will question every shepherd regarding his flock. Allah will question every shepherd regarding his flock. Whether they took care of it, meaning whether they took care of his flock, or whether they neglected the flock, to the degree that Allah will ask every man about the affairs of his household. So people were under your roof, you were responsible for them. Did you look after them as, 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 as you should have? Did you ensure that the dunya, what they needed to make a success of the dunya, that they were taught that? Did you ensure what they needed to make a success of the akhirah, that they were taught that? And yeah, I need you to understand that sending your children to school or sending your children to afternoon madrasa, that is not enough. You cannot take your responsibility and pass it to somebody else. Alhamdulillah, yes, teachers are there to assist you, to fulfill and perform your duty. And uh, uh, muallims are there to assist you, to, 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 to fulfill your duty. But the responsibility is on your shoulders. So you should be asking your children regularly, what did you learn at school today? And how do you intend to apply this in a practical sense? How do you intend to take this theory and produce practical benefit? You should be doing that. 
And you should be speaking to the teachers as to how your child is progressing, whether it is in religious knowledge or whether it is in secular knowledge, but needed. Even for the Muslim, you should ensure that things are on a certain level. And if somehow there's a bit of a slack, and then you must, you, you must tighten it. You must ensure that whatever needs to be done is done and Allah knows best. A third thing is that the home is a refuge to which the individual retreats, especially in times of fitna. So the Prophet speaks of an age of fitna that will come before Qiyamah. And the word fitna has many meanings, but the two main meanings is number one, it's, it is a trial where your iman is being tested. And number two, it is a temptation, where the idea is to tempt you away from the straight path, down a different path. Now, yeah, I just want to mention one or two things for your benefit, and we will elaborate in future lessons, inshallah. How shaitan gets us, and this is the first point, how shaitan gets us is via our needs. And Allah has no problem with our needs, our natural needs. Allah has no problem. So how shaitan gets us is via our needs. But our needs are not problematic. What is problematic is the vehicle of fulfillment. Like for example, as humans and as adults, we have need of emotional intimacy and we have need of physical intimacy. And if this is done via a girlfriend or a boyfriend or anything down that line, then the vehicle of fulfillment is displeasing to Allah and it brings shame upon us. But if this is done via the institution of marriage, then that is a thing that brings honor. And the same need is fulfilled by the grace of Allah. But now it is fulfilled in a manner that is in the obedience of Allah. It is fulfilled in a manner that is a benefit to society and the individuals that are participating in it. And Allah knows best. So Allah has no problem with your needs. Allah has systems in place to ensure that your needs are fulfilled. The problem that Allah has is with the vehicle of fulfillment. There's a vehicle of fulfillment that is displeasing to Allah. And there's a vehicle of fulfillment that is pleasing to Allah. That which is displeasing to Allah will only bring you harm and suffering and disgrace. And that which is pleasing to Allah, that will bring you happiness. That will truly benefit you. And uh, Allah knows best. Anyway, so that is number one uh, with regards to the extra that I wanted to add. Something else also. Uh, when it comes to needs, the ulama speak of the two main appetites, which is shahwatu al-batan and shahwatu al-farj, uh, the appetite of the stomach and the appetite of the privates. So what shaitan does is shaitan has two tricks, as uh, the scholar Ibn Qayyim al-Zawziya says. He says shaitan has fitna to shubha and fitna to shahwa. In fitna to shubha, his aim is to cause you to think that good is bad and bad is good. So it tricks you yeah, by changing reality. Sometimes ulama call the sihr, magic. In South Africa, many call it jadu. You understand? But it tricks you. You understand? It bewitches you. It causes you to think that good is bad and bad is good. And yeah, Shakespeare has spoken about this uh, as well in one of his plays. Fair is foul and foul is fair. Haq is batil and batil is haq. So this is one of the tricks of, of, of wizards and magicians and shaitan. They, 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 they whisper in your ear. They try to guide you in a certain direction. So the first is to get you to think that good is bad and bad is good. 
And if we are not able to get you on that level, then we'll get you on the level of shahwa, of your appetites. And here I see the appetite of food, of the stomach, and the appetite of the privates. Those are the two main ways that shaitan uh, gets people. Because people struggle to keep those things under control. And this is the reason why also in the month of Ramadan, when we fast, the main things that we avoid is eating and drinking, and number three, sexual intercourse. Why is this? Because your most basic instincts is survival of the self and survival of the species. And what do you do to ensure survival of the self? You eat and drink. And what do you do to ensure survival of the species? You engage in act number three. So these are your, more, your, your strongest of appetites. And if you are able to bring them under control, if you are able to bring them in the obedience of Allah, then the verse speaks of Ramadan, it ends in the statement, Why should you fast? So that inshallah, so that you can attain, and you can attain to taqwa. But shaitan is there to trick you. Shaitan is there to show you good is bad or bad is good. That's one level. And if he cannot get you on that level, he will get you to, even if you know a thing is sinful, he will get your appetites to overpower you and you are not able to resist. So you know it is wrong, but you're not able to resist. Like in the English language, there's a saying. The saying is, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What do they mean by that? What they mean by that is, I know that it is wrong. I know that I shouldn't be doing this, but I just cannot resist. Right? But there's a method to learn how to resist. There's a method to increase your, your, your willpower so that you are able to resist. And fasting, shiyam, is part and parcel of that. And Allah has other ways and means in place also where Allah teaches us to do that. And one of it is, you should as much as possible stay in your house, especially at times of fitna. Like uh, in, in, in the age of COVID, uh, we can say that COVID is a fitna. It is a trial upon the people. You understand? And there's temptation to, to, to be up and about. But what is the best thing to do? The best thing to do is to stay in your house unless you have a clear need uh, to exit your house you understand that you need to do it in a manner that would not place you at risk. Either way, to remain home, except as needed, except to leave the house when needed, it is a protection. Both against the evil of others, and it's also a means of protecting others from yourself. So this is one of the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. The Prophet taught us that the best of people are those that benefit other people. That's the best of people. And then the Prophet Allah tells us, that if you cannot benefit others, then at least protect them from your harm. That is also a benefit. If you cannot benefit others, then at least restrain yourself so that you, you do not you do not harm them. Once a Sahabi asked the Prophet of Allah, who is a Muslim? And the Prophet responded, Al-Muslim man al-Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadi. A Muslim is that person. Other Muslims are safe with regards to his hands. He will not steal their stuff. A Muslim is not a looter. For example, he will not steal their stuff. They are safe with regard to, to, to his hands. He will not also strike them. And then also they are safe with regards to his tongue. He will not be backbiting them. So he will not engage in riba. He will definitely not engage in bohtan, which is to speak a lie regarding another human and uh, Allah knows best. Either way, when you are home, you protect yourself from the arms of others and also you protect others from your hands. And here there's hadith by the Prophet ﷺ. The hadith comes in Tabarani, the Mu'ajam Awsat, 
uh, hadith number 2340, where the Prophet is reported to have said, glad tidings to the one who protects his tongue. So the tongue is mentioned in numerous ahadith, that the tongue is one of the main reasons that people are going to be going to hellfire. Like the Prophet says in one hadith, uh, I guarantee for anyone who's able to protect what is between his jawbones and what is between his thighs, I guarantee for that person Jannah. So in that hadith, the danger of the tongue is equated to the danger of zina. And zina is a great crime. It, it is an enormity. So for the tongue to be equated with that is to indicate that the, the tongue is also a thing that will cause you to fall into enormities. However, this is not the focus of the hadith for this lesson. It's the second statement the Prophet said, whose house is sufficient for him. Glad tidings to the one who protects his tongue. The person whose house is sufficient for him. He don't need to be on the road all the time. He don't need to be outside of his house all the time. Most of the time at home. I only when need to, 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 to go to work. I only when there's need to buy uh, foodstuffs and the like. Only then the individual uh, is out. Not somebody who just wants to socialize the whole day. You understand? And most of the time when the person is socializing, all they are doing is they're engaging in sin. Either direction or they are speaking of others and, and engaging in backbiting and the like. And Allah knows best. And also a person who weeps over his own mistakes. He sins. And the mistakes that he has made, he's crying to Allah over it. Because he's worried what will be his condition on the day of Qiyamah. But most people aren't like this. You understand? Most people speak recklessly about anything and everything. Things that do not concern them. And the Prophet said, of the goodness of a person's faith is that the person avoids that which do not uh, or does not concern him. And most people don't want to be in the house also. They want to be on the road the whole time. They understand? They want to be at the beaches when, when it is hot. And when it is cold, they want to sit around the fire and, 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 and in the company of, of, of others and be speaking about things that is not their concern. And they're always weeping about others. The president is not good enough. The people are not good enough. The imam is not good enough. The neighbor is not good enough. But never do we come to the realization that we are not good enough. Never do we come to the realization that we are part of the problem. We are contributing to the problem. We're always speaking about other people's contribution to the problem. But we never focus on our own contribution to the problem. So how can we go forward? How can we go forward like that? Uh, the dunya is filled with 8 billion humans. And I'm focused on 8 billion minus 1. The minus 1 is me. The only person I'm not worried about, the only person I feel that hasn't made a mistake is me. The 8 billion people minus 1, they are the people that have made a mistake. So they should change. That's not the right way to make the world a better place. The right way to make the world a better place is to focus on yourself. Reform yourself. And you will notice when you reform yourself that everything else will come in line. And Allah indicates to us in the Quran. Allah says, Allah will not change the external conditions of the people until they change what is inside of them. Change your nature. And then the outside world will change. And this is the truth on numerous levels. But one of the most important levels for me, especially as a counselor, is that I've noticed and I've come to learn that the only person that sees reality the way that it is, that person is Allah. 
Nobody else sees reality the way that it is. Everybody else is looking at reality via the ego. Everybody else is looking at reality via their misunderstandings, via their own personal objectives and the like. They do not see things the way things are. But there is a true Muslim that is spending time alone with his Lord and speaking to his Lord and begging of his Lord to guide him. And this person is reflecting on the dunya and trying to get a more accurate understanding of the realities of his or her life so that they can become better people. This person is focused on his errors and how he might improve his errors or her errors. They are less focused on the errors of, of, of others. And Allah knows best. Especially in the context of marriage, this is going to make the world of difference. A husband that keeps on telling his wife how wrong she is. And a wife that keeps on criticizing her husband. They get nowhere. The other person just dislikes you. The other person becomes resistant to your supposed nasiha because you're always finding defect. You understand and you never see the good. And uh, after a while, people are not interested any longer. Uh, love has gone lost and uh, Allah knows best. Another hadith of the Prophet of Allah, there's a much longer hadith. The Prophet of Allah says, there are five things. Whoever does even one of them will find that Allah will be with you. So you just need to do one and Allah will be with you. The first is visiting the sick. Visiting the sick. Here there's a lengthy hadith where the Prophet said on the day of Qiyamah, Allah will say to a man, I was hungry and I knocked on your door and you did not give me to eat. I was thirsty and I knocked on your door, you didn't give me to drink. I was sick, you did not visit me. And then the man will say, oh Allah, you are Rabbul Alameen, you are Lord of the worlds. How could you be sick? How could you be hungry? How could you be thirsty? And then Allah will say, yes, but my slave was hungry. My slave uh, was thirsty. My slave was sick. Had you given him to drink? Have you given him to eat? Had you visited him? You would have found me there. So that teaches us something. That Allah takes your treatment of Allah's slaves, of Allah's creation, Allah takes it personal. It is as if Allah, as if you treated Allah like that. And this is something in the context of marriage that I'm regularly reminding people. You ill-treat your husband, you ill-treat your wife, you are ill-treating the gift of Allah. And this is only going to bring upon you the anger of the giver. And Allah knows best. Number two, also following of the janazah. Following of the janazah. Especially when it comes to the making of the salat of the janazah, which is a dua of the deceased. And inshallah, it will bring, upon, it will bring on uh, the mercy of Allah. Then also going out in the path of Allah, whether it is uh, to defend the Muslimin and fight uh, on the borders of the country, or whether it is in any other way that we go out in the path of Allah to further the religion of Islam and to make effort that people become Muslim and people see the importance of Islam and then they, 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 they do their utmost best to live a life in accordance with that. Also, when you visit the leader of the people, the Amir, in an age where there is an Amir, and if not, the Imam of your locality or any Alim of your town or any person that is looked up to by the Muslimin, and your intention is that uh, he might have made a mistake, so he must be rectified, but you must do it in a, in a respectful manner. In a respectful manner. So this is somehow an oddity in today's time. The people are speaking to leaders, and I believe the leaders are wrong, but they approach them in the most disrespectful manner that you can imagine. And somehow they believe that it is Islamic. It is not, it is not Islamic to disrespect your elders. 
You understand? It is Islamic to respect your elders. Yes, if something wrong had happened, you must speak to the person about it and you must rectify it, but you must respect them. As how you should have mercy uh, on the youngsters. Even when you rectify the youngsters also, it must be done with compassion. It must be done with compassion. The Prophet it said, he who does not honor and respect our elders and he does not show mercy to our youngsters, such a person is not of us. And the obvious reason for that is that you are not following the teachings of Islam. So I'm just going to finish off now with E, and then we're going to have a bit of a break, inshallah, for about five minutes, and then we're going to come back. Right? And finally, and this is the, the piece that's actually uh, regarding our topic, a person who continues to sit in his house and thereby protects others from him while also being protected from them and uh, Allah knows best. So we're going to take a break for five minutes or so. It's going to give you an opportunity also, inshallah, to send in any questions that you might have on what we are discussing and uh, some other things that might be unrelated also. If we have the opportunity, uh, we will answer that as well. So Bismillah, please go ahead. Uh, Shamil has given you the WhatsApp number so you can go ahead and you can uh, post your questions or anything else you would like to say. So we're going to break for five minutes. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi and Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, uh, to continue. We have been discussing the importance of uh, looking after our homes and uh, staying in the homes as much as uh, possible and uh, not leaving the homes uh, unnecessarily. So another hadith of the Prophet Islam, this hadith comes in the Jami Sahir, where the Prophet Islam is reported to have said that the safety of an individual against fitna, again we said fitna is trials and temptation. So your man, your iman is tested less when you are in your home. It is when you leave your home that your iman is tested. You understand? Like, for example, I read a book by, 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 by a non-Muslim, a study on infidelity in marriage. Right? Uh, when do husbands and when do wives uh, fall into infidelity, the sin of zina, uh, extramarital affairs uh, and the like. Uh, and the issue was... What is the most common variable? And the answer that this non-Muslim researcher came to was convenience, accessibility. Meaning thereby that if you are a man that is constantly in the company of females, at some point or the other, an interest will be raised in a female or the other. And then it's going to result in infidelity. And the same thing on the side uh, of a lady. If a lady is constantly in the company of members of the opposite gender that are not maharim, at some time or the other, some interest uh, will be raised. An example I like to make, uh, like for example, in the marriage classes, is that if you're a lady that is working, so you're going to work, there's a married man at work, his name is Ibrahim, for example. Whenever he sees you, like especially on a Monday after a weekend, he wants to know what your weekend was like. Uh, he wants to carry your box that you are carrying. He wants to know, should he make coffee for you, etc., etc. So this might just be a difficult time that you are experiencing at home, where you and your husband might be upset with one another, and for a while the two of you might not have been speaking to one another. You might still be sleeping in the same bed, but you're turning your backs to one another, etc., etc. And so we're just looking for a bit of companionship. We're just looking for a bit of an understanding and then this male is constantly offering uh, some type of companionship. He's constantly understanding you and he's constantly seeing value in you. It's very easy for you to start developing feelings for him. Especially in light of the fact that, that, that emotions are fickle. 
We have no true control over emotions. You understand? And uh, so it's very easy to just wake up one day and to realize that I, I, I no longer love my husband. I no longer love my wife. Uh, I love this person, Ibrahim at work. You understand? Fatima at work, etc. And then one of the most amazing things about Ibrahim is that Ibrahim is a married man. When he goes home to his wife, he doesn't ask her what her day was like. When she's walking with a box or she's walking with some shopping bags, he doesn't offer to carry her shopping uh, bags and the like. And uh, he's not offering to make her coffee. So why is he offering to make you coffee? Why does he want to carry your bags, your box? Why does he want to know what your weekend is like? So the Prophet warned about all of these things. The Prophet said, the zina of the eye is looking. And the zina of the tongue is talking. And the zina of the hand is touching. And then the Prophet said, all the while, the heart desires and it hopes. What does it desire? What does it hope for? So the rest of the hadith tells us, the Prophet says, the privates will indicate whether this is the truth. Meaning, all of these things are muqaddimat. These things are intermediary steps that bring us closer to infidelity. It starts with the looking. You look, you see what you like, the heart desires. Then you start speaking. So you've, you've moved once, uh, two steps now towards zina. First the looking, then the speaking. Then at some point or the other, we're shaking hands. Like here in Cape Town, it's an amazing thing. Eid is supposed to be a day when we are in the obedience of Allah. But somehow Eid is the time when we disobey Allah the most here in Cape Town. Uh, I tell people regularly that uh, Eid in Cape Town, Labaran, it is the muscle toe of the Muslims. If you're, if you're a pervert and you want to take some, a woman's hand, all year she's not, she won't take your hand. You want to kiss her on the lips, all year she, she won't allow but when it is Eid, you can walk over to her, you can offer your hand, and you can, you, can, you can pout your lips, you understand? And she will take your hand, and she will kiss you, even on the lips, she will. You understand? So uh, somehow we have customs in place that are in the disobedience of Allah. And, we, and uh, these customs, they, 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 they start being activated when we leave our, our, our households. Because in our household, inshallah, we can have complete control. We can create our house on principles of jannatis, people that are going to be going to jannat, the su'ada, the people that will, well, they will experience divine bliss and divine delight. But the moment we leave your house, it's less control. It's less control. More and more control is put in the hands of others. And frequently those others, they are people that disbelieve in Allah. There are people that believe in multiple gods. There are people that have absolutely no problem with sinning and disobedience. So when you leave your house, you open yourself up to trials. You open yourself up uh, to temptation. Now, before I continue, I just want to respond uh, to a question that was sent through during the break. So the question is, if one is leaving the home as a family, to admire Allah's creation in nature and around us, is this also discouraged? So what I want you to know is this. You are not being told that to be outside of your house where there is a Sharia-compliant reason that that is problematic. You understand? What you are being told is don't find frequent reason to leave the house. You understand? Stay in your house as much as you possibly can. And every now and then to have a bit of an outing, it is in the obedience of Allah, 
like for example, uh, studying nature and creation and allowing that now uh, for you to ponder in the greatness of Allah, for, 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 for you to, 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 to learn more about Allah and Allah's creation. So the ulama, for example, they say that there are two types of verses or there are two types of signs. Allah uses the same term for both ayatun and ayatun. So ayah, you can translate the sign and you can translate it as verse. You understand? So in relation to the Quran, if you're reading the Quran, it's ayah. And if you're studying Allah's creation, then it is a sign. Like in, in, in the verse in Surah Rum, or in ayatihi and khalaqalakum, of the many signs of Allah, is that He's created for you, of you, spouses. So yes, to go out in nature and to study nature and come to know your Allah better, uh, to be in awe of the creation of Allah, all of that is khair and all of that is barakah. You understand? The golden question is how regularly is it done? How regularly are you out there? You understand? So if it is something that is done infrequently, as needed, you understand the sort of thing that's being done every day. Every day we need to be on the road. Every day we need to be visiting this one. Then we need to be visiting that one. Then we need to be going to this holiday resort and that holiday resort. You understand? And in company of disbelievers, in company of people that engage in shirk, in company of, 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 of Muslims, but they are not practicing Muslims, these things are going to be rubbing off uh, on us. You understand? So uh, there's many good reasons to leave the house. But it should be all be done in moderation. You understand? We, inshallah, the bulk of the time is spent in the house. And only when there's a need and a Sharia-compliant reason, such as what we have mentioned, uh, then we'll do that. And uh, Allah knows best. So in a time and a place in which authentic religion has become rare, everybody claims to be religious. But I said everybody claims to be good Muslims. But is your Islam authentic? Is your Islam in accordance with the Quran? Is your Islam in accordance with the Hadith? Is it in accordance with the, with the, with the, with the great ulama of the past? If somebody, you, you, a particular alim you like, but he's saying things that has never been said before. You understand? No alim has ever said it. Shafi didn't say, say so. Abu Hanifa didn't say so. Mali didn't say so. Say so. Muhammad didn't say so. Nawi didn't say so. Ghazali didn't say so. Razi didn't say so. Then you must become weary. You must become weary. How, how, how uh, likely is it that what you've been told uh, is authentic? So we live in an age where authentic religion has become rare. And authentic religion has become mocked. All the signs of Islam, it has been mocked. You understand? So in such an age, the benefit of this advice can clearly be seen. You understand? In order to protect your iman, you need to do this. And you need to only interact with others where at the very least you are able to benefit them, even if they are not able to take benefit from you. And ideally, you benefit them and they benefit you. That is the most ideal uh, interaction. You understand? And all relationships is based upon this. There's a, there's a transactional uh, element in all relationships that makes the interaction valuable to both parties, including marriage. Like I'm, I'm, I'm frequently mentioning to, 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 to my brothers and my sisters in, in, in counseling or in marriage classes, I'm frequently mentioning to them that sometimes as married people, we forget the law of interaction. All interaction is based upon the exchange of value. When a man marries a woman, he brings a certain value to the table, the value of a husband. And he expects something. 
He expects to now receive the value of a wife. When a woman gets married to a man, she brings a certain value to the, to the table, the value of a wife. And she's now expecting to receive the value of a husband. But the Prophet warned, he warned that in the, in the time of, uh, just prior to Qiyamah, you will enter an age of hati wal mana. Hati wal mana. What does that mean, hati wal mana? Hati wal mana means give me. Give me, I want, I want, give me. And mana means, no, sorry, I can't help it. So on the one side, I'm saying, give me, give me, I want, I want, I need. And on the other hand, I'm saying, no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry I can't help you, I can't help you. So I want all the traffic to be towards me, but there's no traffic from me to others. That's a dream world. That's a dream world. If, if, if you're thinking that that's how the world works, people must do for you, but you don't do for them, then you are dreaming. You are self-deluded. What you need to understand is that the system of the dunya is I yap you, you yap me. You understand? I give you a certain value, you give me a similar value back. That is the system of the dunya. And all the languages somehow have a saying. Like in the English language we say, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. In the Afrikaans language we say, Ian han basi anahan. You understand? One hand washes the other hand. So uh, there's a certain mutuality. There's a certain uh, reciprocality uh, in all of those things, you understand? And this is the way uh, of the dunya. So if we can produce such things, where I benefit you and you benefit me, alhamdulillah, that is best. But if I can at least benefit you and you won't harm me, then that is also acceptable uh, by the grace of Allah. If however you're going to leave your house and you're going to open yourself up to ridicule, you got to open yourself up to harm. Like we live in a country, unfortunately, where, where, where crime has really taken over. You understand? Even if you're going shopping these days, uh, you have to be extremely careful. You can be hijacked or the like. So a sensible person will try to, to, to go shopping uh, uh, less. You understand? Make sure you've got a, a good shopping list. You go to the supermarket once, you buy everything that you need. You understand? Try not to make it a daily thing. And if it's a daily thing, make sure that it is not happening multiple times a day. You understand? Just once a day, you go to a shop and you buy whatever your needs are uh, for the day. And, and maybe if you're going to be buying in large amounts, just make it once a week. Even better than that, once a month. You understand? Decrease the time that you are spending outside of your house. The time in which you can attract attention uh, of the wrong kind. People that will want to cause you physical harm or people that want to cause you uh, moral harm, including people that are interested in you, but you are a married man and you are a married woman, or they are interested in you, but not for marriage, for things that are in the disobedience uh, of Allah, that will cause Allah displeasure and bring the anger of Allah. So uh, most times in your home, you understand? Only when you have a need to exit the house. Like maybe in the times of COVID, many people became... Uh, or they suffer from what some people call cabin fever. Right? So I'm suffering a bit of cabin fever. I've been in the house too much. So I, I need to be outside a bit. And so what have we decided? We decided to take a bit of a walk in the forest. You understand? And admire nature. Right? And to speak to one another as a family. What does this mean in relation to the creator? And so forth. That can be a very, very valuable experience. You understand? It's healthy. You understand, it will protect against the scabbard fever feelings. And at the same time, it is an opportunity to be in the obedience of Allah and to teach your children also about Allah's creation. 
if, if, if creation is so complex, if creation is so, so perfect, everything in the right place, what does it say about the creator? What does it say? What kind of a being is he? But also to continue, when most sons cannot easily be bad, this is where you're outside. It is better to remain in one's house and to protect oneself from the evil of the outside world. Where in the outside world, you're going to be falling into sinful deeds. Or at the very least, you will be looking at the impermissible. You'll be looking at the impermissible. So a good example of this, you go to the beach. So I go to the beach. I'm still wearing my full kurta. You understand? I'm still wearing my, my kufia or my turban. Uh, you wearing your, 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 your full abaya, maybe even wearing parda, but you're on a beach. There are members of the opposite gender walking around here and the aura is exposed. You understand? You're going to be sitting at the beach and you're not going to be looking at anyone. Uh, if you're going to be sitting at the beach and you're only looking at your toes, then what's the difference between being at the beach and being at home? You understand? Yes, if you can find a beach where there's nobody walking around, you understand, and uh, nobody's exposing the aura, uh, bismillah. No, 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 no problem with that. And uh, you wouldn't put yourself at the at, at, at risk of, of physical harm. No problem with that. But you exit your house, you tend to fall into sin. And if you don't fall into sin, you're observing sinful things and you're looking at things that you are not allowed uh, to be looking at. Right? So looking at some a sin of another, that is not a sin, but when I, when I say you're looking at sinful things, you're looking at things that you're not supposed to be looking at, and it's going to introduce something in the mind. The Prophet Allah said this. The Prophet Allah said that the, the mind, your head, and your stomach, they are containers. And you must be careful what you allow into these two containers. So this is important that you must eat the right food, healthy food, so that you can have a healthy constitution. In a like manner, you mustn't allow into your mind except that which is healthy. That which will, which will promote Iman. That which will promote obedience to Allah. But you allow sinning to enter your mind. You allow concepts of kufr arguments for disbelief and sin to enter the mind. Over time, it is going to affect you. When Ali Gouda, one of the imams here in Cape Town, at Daruna in Masjid, a very wise, pious and learned man by the grace of Allah, in one Jummah of these, he summed it up, right? He found it on the internet, but he found it very useful, alhamdulillah. So he summed it up in one Jummah. He said it as follows. Be careful of what you look at, because it will become your deeds. That's line one. Line two, be careful of what you do, because it will become your habits. Line three, be careful of what you make your habit, because it points to your destiny. It points to your destiny. And notice where it starts. It starts with the look. You're looking at things, it enters your mind. In fact, I just realized I left out a line there. Be careful of what you look at because it will become your thoughts. Be careful of what you think on, it will become your practices. Be careful of what you do, it will become your habits. Be careful of what you make your habits, it points to your destiny. Right? So it starts with looking and it progresses and then eventually it's a habit. And if you have the habits, of the people of Jannah, then you will be going to Jannah, inshallah. But if you have the habits of the people of Jahannam, then you cannot be expecting to go to, to Jannah. You don't want to work for your Jannah. Allah, on a certain level, is a businessman. 
and Allah is entering into a business agreement with us. Allah says this clearly in the Quran. Al adullukum ala tijaratin tunjikum in adabin alim, etc., etc. Should I, should I indicate you to a trade that will save you from a painful punishment? Elsewhere, the Prophet Allah said, Inna sil'at Allahi ghaliya. The product that Allah sells, it is expensive. Allah inna sil'at Allahi al-jannah. Behold the product that Allah sells, it is paradise itself. In a different ayah, Allah is saying, Ahasib al-nas wa yutaraku wa yaqulu amanna wa umla yuftanun. Did the people think that all they're going to have to do is say that they are believers and automatically they'll, they'll go to Jannah. They will not be tested. Did you really think that you will be entering into Jannah and you would not be suffering anything? You would not be suffering the likes of what people before you had suffered? People before you, they suffered to such a degree that the Nabi and his followers, they would call out unto Allah, Mata Nasrullah, when will the Yaq of Allah come? What is Allah's response? Allah inna Nasrullahi qareeb, behold the Yaq of Allah, it will come soon. You came to this world to be tested. Allah will be testing you with the good and Allah will be testing you with the bad. It is all a test. Don't think if you are rich, and you are beautiful and handsome, and you are powerful and you are respected, don't think that Allah loves you. Know that you are being tested. And if you are poor, and people consider you ugly, and they consider you an unknown, and you have no connections, etc., don't also think that Allah hates you. The only thing you know for sure is that Allah is testing you. So whether you are in a good condition or in a bad condition, the only thing you know for sure is that Allah is testing you. Don't quickly come to the conclusion Allah loves you and don't quickly come to the, come to the conclusion that Allah hates you. The main thing you need to know is that you are being tested and there are things that you can do to decrease the test and make it more manageable. The less you interact with others or you only allow interaction that is beneficial, even if just to them, you understand, uh, then the test will be easier and uh, Allah knows best. Also, our women folk and our children, they will be prevented from exposing their beauty. So why is the focus here on ladies? Because the obvious thing is that ladies are the more beautiful of the two genders. And men are weaker in relation to women. You understand? And, and, and then what women are in relation to men. So our women folk are prevented from exposing their beauty to strangers. And our children are kept safe from the bad influence of a generation of youth that have gone crazy. Even the Arabs have this as a saying. They say, uh, Youth is a branch of insanity. Youth is a type of insanity. I see youngers as a mal. I see youngers as a mal. And you want mal to anfang. As you grow older, wisdom comes. You understand what experiences? Wisdom comes. And then you realize, yo, the things I did when I was young, I don't know what I was thinking. Either way, on this, on this issue, Allah says in Surah Al-Ahzab, verse 33, Allah says, to the ladies, and do not exit your homes and put on a display, the display of the, the ignorance, the first ignorance. So here there's at least two ignorances. 
There's the ignorant times, the times of ignorance prior to the coming of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And in the end of times before Qiyamah, there's a Jahiliyyah Thaniyah, there's a second age of ignorance. So ah, we shouldn't act in a manner that is similar to the first age of ignorance, meaning thereby heralding in, bringing in the second age of, of, of ignorance. And this age of ignorance, it will lead to the end of the world. So notice what is the, what is the Quranic teaching. Part and parcel of protecting yourself. Uh, uh, protecting yourself against temptation and also protecting others from you being a temptation to them. You understand? Like, for example, this is a point of interest. In the Arabic language, if you were to say that a lady is sexy, how would you say that? You would actually say, Ya laha min fatana. Ya laha min fatana. What a great fitness she is. You understand? That is actually the term. And the reality in today's time is that everywhere you go, people dress in a manner that is just oozing sexuality. So it is difficult. It is difficult to be out there in the public and interacting with people, especially if you are interacting with members of the opposite gender and they are non-Muslim or they are people given to sin, you understand? And uh, so your iman will be tested. Then also most people spend most of their time at home Especially when the weather is inclement. Understand? It's raining, or it's very cold, or extremely hot. So they want to be near an, an air conditioner and the like. And then early in the morning, or late in the day, or after finishing work, or after school, people are at home. So it's important to, to have a good home. A place that people can retreat to, where they are comfortable, and where the dunya is in a, in a proper way, and also things are in place to ensure a good akhirah. And so a house should be a place that encourages worship. And if not ibadah, then at least halal pursuits. You understand? Uh, if those things are not in place, people are going to fall into haram. You understand? So ideally, worship, recitation of the Quran, dhikr, salah, etc. If not, some halal activity, like gardening. You understand? Or, or maybe uh, breeding rabbits, or whatever it might be. And Allah knows best. Some pursuit that creates a bit of an R&R, &R, a rest and, uh, uh, rest and, 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 and recreation uh, for you. Uh, so, 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 so your mind calms down. You understand? Emotionally, you can settle also. You understand? You must have these things in place. Otherwise, you will fall into haram. And then finally, we have to pay attention to the home because the home is the means to building a Muslim society. And the reason for that is because society is made up of the many households and families that form its building blocks. Households form neighborhoods, neighborhoods form societies, societies form the Muslim Ummah, the Muslim nation. If the building blocks are sound, the bricks, the society will be based upon the laws of Allah, standing firm in the face of enemies and whatever wants to destroy Islam and Iman and filled with goodness that evil cannot uh, penetrate. It will be resistant. It will be resistant. Like you have a, a, a healthy body, your body is resistant to sickness. You understand? And the like way, uh, manner, is that if your iman is healthy, you will be resistant to kufr, disbelief, and you will be resistant uh, to sinning. So Muslim homes will be followed with pillars of society, meaning the humans that inhabit the house, they will be the pillars of society, will reform and guide society aright. Such as, for example, there will be exemplary da'is, 
people are making da'wah, propagators of religion. Uh, or they will be seekers of knowledge, tulab, students of deen. Or they will be sincere mujahidun, warriors that are fighting the good fight. And here we are not just speaking about uh, what you call this uh, in the military sense. We are also speaking uh, of the researchers where non-Muslims are saying things about Islam and they are spending time researching all of that and then they are answering all of these arguments uh, in books that they are writing or literature that they are putting out uh, in society. Also caring mothers that they've given birth to the leaders of tomorrow and that are carefully raising them with, with, with love and uh, with guidance from Quran and Hadith and any and all type of reformers that are out there. Uh, as how we need the ulama, we also need the bricklayers. You understand? We also need the plumbers. We also need the people that are running the soup kitchen. And the, the soup kitchens. We need all of these people. All of these, these people are necessary for the good function of the Muslim community. So if you have some interest or the other, uh, as long as it is in the obedience of Allah and it is adding value to the Muslim society, you need to understand that you are a necessary brick in the building that is Islam. Right? And then the Prophet also said that four things are required for happiness, uh, success and prosperity. Number one, a compatible spouse. Marry somebody that is compatible to you and you will see happiness. Number two, a spacious house. So a good and decent house that is big enough for you uh, to live in where you feel comfortable and you don't feel constrained. And a good neighbor. The Arabs actually have a saying, they say, Al-Jar Qabla Dar. When you want to buy a house, before studying the house, go study your neighbor. Because if the house is not right, you can throw the whole house down and rebuild it. You understand? But you, what are you going to do if your neighbor is not a good person? What are you going to do if your neighbor is a terror? You can't make away with the neighbor. But you can make away with the house and rebuild it. So it's more important to have a good neighbor than what it is to have a good house. And then finally, a comfortable ride. Uh, if you have a good car, or in an age of horses and camels, you have a nice horse and a nice camel, it is able to take you from one place to the next, then there's fair and barakah in your life. But if your camel is always giving you problems, your car is stuck in all over the place, then this breaks, then that breaks, you have to be you're pushing the car, the car doesn't even start on its own, you have to push it to start it. So those are all things that, that it's contrary to happiness, it brings misery. Either way, you will notice that the Prophet Islam has included a house. Yes, the Prophet is speaking about the house being spacious enough for whatever you are doing, but the important point here is that the house is in there. So a husband or wife must be a good person and compatible to you, good neighbor, comfortable ride, but definitely the house also uh, is in there. And we end up on this verse, inshallah, that Allah speaks and Allah says, Rahim. Is it so that somebody that had put the foundation of his house or building, Allah, upon consciousness of Allah, upon God fear, and the pleasure of Allah. So his focus is that he doesn't want to disobey Allah. His focus is that he wants to be in the obedience of Allah. Is such a person khayrun, better? Amman asasabunyanahu, or somebody that has built the foundations of his house, on the edge of a bank, a ring that is on the verge of collapsing. And then the bank collapses and it takes him with uh, it. And it falls now into hellfire. 
Wallahu la yahdil qawmah walimin and Allah does not guide a nation uh, that are wrongdoers. So Allah is, Allah is asking you which one is better. And the obvious answer is that it is better to build your house on the taqwa of Allah and the pleasure of Allah. So this is what the course is all about. The aim, inshallah, is to create homes that are in the obedience of Allah. Homes where, where Allah is always uh, the focus and uh, where we are turning away uh, from the disobedience of Allah and uh, so forth. So some questions have come in. Uh, yes, well, I, I know the time is run up, um, but would you be able to maybe address uh, one or two of the questions, inshallah? Okay, so I, I'll try to answer the questions in, in the shortest way possible. Shukran. Assalamu what is the ruling on making a tawis for children to wear when they leave the house of protection? Is this permissible? What does the Quran advise? So the wearing of tawis is, uh, there's a difference of opinion amongst the ulama. Some ulama are saying that it is permissible uh, if it is done in accordance with the teachings of Islam. Uh, what is written uh, on the tawis are known things, uh, not impermissible things or unknown things. Uh, not stuff like abracadabra, zimzalabim, you understand that type of a thing. You understand, but, but known things uh, are written on there that are clearly in the obedience of Allah. While there's other ulama that say that, no, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, you must teach your child to, to, to read du'as and this and that. Or you must read the du'a and perhaps blow on the child. And uh, Allah knows best. So that question involves uh, disagreement amongst the ulama. Right? Uh, at a different time, we can go into, into more detail, uh, inshallah. He's staying at home sunnah. Was the Prophet ﷺ not spending a lot of time out? Should we not find a balance? Uh, you're staying at home in Sunnah. We did numerous hadith now with the Prophet ﷺ is advising you to stay home. So automatically it is Sunnah. Uh, was the Prophet ﷺ not spending a lot of time out? The Prophet ﷺ was out sometime of the day. And that time of the day when he was out, then he was doing beneficial and good things. But the Prophet ﷺ wasn't just out for the sake of being out. You understand? The Prophet ﷺ was out when there was need to be out. And then should we not find a balance? Exactly. There's a balance between being in your house and being outside. But what is happening in our age is people are focused on being outside. You understand? So this is exactly what we are saying. When there's need to be outside, then you exit the home. But if there's no clear need to be outside, especially when you will harm others or others will harm you, then that is not the balance uh, that, that should be sought that is contrary to the balance. And then the final question, I, I understand what you're trying to say about avoiding fitna outside the home, but I worry about this message, especially for families with children. Children need healthy outlets, like sport, etc., and it is a form of positive uh, development. It, 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 uh, the question is similar to what I've said before. If you've got a good reason to be outside of your house that is in accordance with the teachings of Islam, then you do that. You understand? If you don't have a good reason, the best for you is to be at home. You understand? And uh, the more you make your house a place where all of these things can be done, like for example, a swimming pool. You want your children to swim. The best place for your children to swim is in a pool at your house. You will be able to, to, to have privacy and so forth. You understand? And uh, the people can enjoy themselves in whatever way they like. Now they have to go to a public pool. You understand? At a public pool, there will be exposure of aura. Even if they are not exposing their aura, they will be looking at the aura of other people. Uh, for example, right? So uh, 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 if we have to look at this in a different way, a simple question I'm asking you is, how would you respond to the ahadith that I quoted? How would you respond to, that, to those ahadith? 
If the argument is that you must be out and about all the time, how would you respond to the ahadith that I've quoted? Right? So the balance and the moderation is as follows. If you have need to be outside of your house, a Sharia compliant reason to be outside of your house, it's a good thing. Right? But if you've got no good reason to be outside of your house, the best place to be is in your house, not outside on the road. You understand? It's very similar to the Prophet found some Sahaba sitting on the roads and looking at the people. So the Prophet told them, don't sit on the roads, don't sit on the pavements. And if you have to sit on the pavements and give the road its haq. So they asked, what is the haq of the road, the Messenger of Allah? So the Prophet said, the haq of the road is that you must lower your gaze and you must greet people. You understand? So this is what it comes down to. If it is in the obedience of Allah, then certain things are, are permissible and it can even be wise based upon your circumstances. And yet everybody has to decide for themselves. But as a generalization, and generalizations always have the limits, you understand the law is that if you don't have a good reason to be outside your house, then, then be in your house. Only when you have a good reason, be out. And uh, Allah knows best. So all of the examples that were mentioned, all of those examples fall in the category of good reasons to exit your house. Right? And uh, Allah knows best. Uh, perhaps I, I, I've not said it in the clearest of ways, so that is perhaps what has produced the understanding. If it is like that, uh, please forgive me. And I, I hope that what I've said now uh, is, 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 is better understood and uh, Allah knows best. So I will end there. Once again, shukran to Mawlana Mu'ad for his presentation that he gave this evening. Alhamdulillah. And shukran for everybody for participating with the questions that really add value to our program this evening. You are more than welcome to send your questions in the week to the number, the WhatsApp number we provided, and then we can uh, address those questions at our next sitting, inshallah. Just a reminder for you, if you have not signed up for the course as yet, please do so on our website at www.ctme.co.za and uh, inshallah we'll take it from there. So once again, all the best to you and we'll see you next week inshallah. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.